Grace and peace to you from God our Father and God's beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So if you, like me, have spent time on Facebook, you may have run across a very inspiring story. It seems that at the Seattle Special Olympics, nine participants were running the 100-yard dash. And this event was a big deal. Contestants had traveled a long way. Their families were there. Their friends were there. They had trained for this for months. And everybody was there to win. And so the runners warmed up, and they stretched, and they stood poised at the starting line. And as the starting shot rang out, they leapt out of the starting line and raced towards the finish. Except for one runner who immediately stumbled and fell. And when the other athletes heard him cry and they realized what had happened, instead of running forward and grabbing that victory that they'd worked so hard for, each one of them turned back, went to the, went to the runner and helped him up, and the nine of them walked to the finish line together with their arms linked. They gave up their victory to help others, and they finished as a team. And it's an inspiring story. It kind of gives me a little bit of hope for humanity, right? Except it didn't happen. At least not quite the way the story goes, because according to Snopes, the company whose goal it is to monitor the truth of stuff on the internet, and I say good luck to y'all these days, but Snopes called the Washington State Special Olympics Committee to learn if this had actually happened, and they learned what did happen instead, which is this. In 1976, at the Spokane Special Olympics, a contestant did fall. And of all of the athletes there, there were one, maybe two, who did go back and who helped the fallen athletes while the rest of them finished their race. It's not quite as warm and fuzzy, is it? But before we grow too disappointed, what I find really interesting is that this popular, feel-good, elaborated version is indeed based in fact. And while the story did become grander as the years went by, there is something about the original event, as scaled down as it may have been, that was powerful enough for the story to be transmitted and amplified for over 40 years. It even survived before the time when social media existed. So what was it about that story that made this lesser event worth retelling? I think it's because in our culture, the idea that somebody would give up their personal victory, even if it's only one or two people, to help someone else get to the finish line, I think it's really surprising and rare. Like, we have that as an ideal but when it actually happens, even in a small way, it becomes a story worth telling. Because we live in this world that's all too often about getting ahead or helping our loved ones, but only our loved ones, win that race. We strive for the next promotion, and we want our kids not only to go to college, but go to that particular college, the right college. So they grow up with the pressure of getting higher grades, taking all the AP courses, and doing all of the activities because even when we as parents and grandparents and loved ones try and calm their fears, they are still aware of the pressure of society that exists around them. 
And then they carry that into adulthood, and the narrative perpetuates. And that's not a criticism, right, from a former teacher of wanting to get good grades or of wanting to get into a particular college, but it is an acknowledgement that our systems are so often set up to be about beating everybody else to the finish line as opposed to finding the activities and the jobs and the schools that are going to help us grow into being who God wants us to be. And while most of us would say, yeah, of course we want to help others, when it comes to helping others in a self-sacrificial way, when it comes to reaching out in a way that helps others at our own expense, then suddenly I, at least, often find all sorts of reasons not to. I'm really good at that. And so with all of that in mind, I'll be honest, church, I struggled with today's gospel, and I'd like to be able to tell you it's because it's longer and it's full of theology, which is true, that there was a ton of exegetical information for me to pull from, which is also true. But the truth is, the reason that I struggled is because I'm not sure that I like what Jesus is saying. I mean, really, Jesus wants this guy to sell everything, like everything. He's being metaphorical, right? Or maybe he's just asking this one particular guy to do that because possessions are this particular guy's stumbling block. But although those arguments have some merit, I don't know that I get to just assume that the interpretation I like the most, the one that makes me the most comfortable, is the full picture. I think it's possible that this instruction may, in fact, have some meaning for us as well. And that's hard, because the vast majority of us, including me, we're this guy, right? We follow the wishes of our God as best we can. We do our best not to kill anyone, although sometimes people do that, not to commit adultery, although that sometimes does happen, not to steal, which happens, to always honor our parents, which sometimes also doesn't happen. And okay, the reality is that most of us do not manage to follow the commandments all that well. And so this guy in our gospel who did, he was already way ahead of most of us, and yet he still struggles to follow Jesus. And I will say that, frankly, as a pastor, if you were to come to me and say, hey, Pastor Kim, I had this insight, and I'm going to sell everything I own and give it to the poor, and therefore I'm not going to have any means to support my family, then although I would commend your spiritual enthusiasm, I would probably suggest that you pray a little bit more about that plan. But does the tension that exists here then mean that we get to just disregard Christ's words? I don't think so. It means we get the privilege and the burden of wrestling with them instead. And so in my own wrestling from the past two weeks, here's where I'm at. I think it's overly simplistic to say that this passage is a total condemnation of wealth. But Pastor Kim, doesn't Christ say that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? Yes. But I'm not sure that the main point is about getting rid of wealth in, order, wealth in order to gain entrance into God's kingdom as if God wants some co sort of cosmic admission fee, right? In fact, I'm sure the passage isn't about that because a few line la lines later, the disciples say, wow, if that guy couldn't get into the kingdom of heaven, then who could? 
And Jesus replies, for mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. Jesus is pointing out once again that if it were up to our own works, our own selves, we would never be good enough. But the love and the grace of God, that is something that we can count on. So if it's not about saving yourself, then what's it about? It's about being good stewards of the resources that God has given us, of using our wealth and our resources for a greater purpose. It's about stopping our race of accumulation, of trying to earn prestige and status. It's about stopping that race in order to help someone else who, without our assistance, might never make it over the finish line. In this passage, Jesus is presenting a new way of thinking about sacrifice that's based in the idea of family, of community. Because Jesus could have just said, go, sell your stuff, give, go, sell, give. But he doesn't stop there. He adds to it as he says, go, sell, give, come, follow. Join us. Be in relationship with me. Be in relationship with my disciples. Use your sacrificial giving as a means to build others up, to stand in solidarity with them and to learn from them. Because it's one thing to give to people, that is great, but it's another thing to give sacrificially as a grateful response to the gifts that God has given us. And as a form of worship, as making sacrifices has been from time immemorial. And it's yet another thing to give sacrificially in order to be in relationship with other people. Because when we're thinking about what it means to live in love like Jesus, it's important to note, right, feeding of the 5,000, Jesus doesn't just like take bread and fish and just throw it at people and then run away. Jesus gives the gifts and then he stays and he eats with them. He acknowledges their need both for food and for relationships. He acknowledges their humanity. And I don't think it's an accident that towards the end of this reading, Jesus says that those who leave everything and follow him will receive a hundredfold in family because as Christians, as children of God through our baptism, other people, including strangers, they are our family. It's not so much about abandoning the needs of our own families as it is about expanding our understanding of family to include those outside of our immediate circle. So as a church community, our goal is to use our giving to honor God by forming relationships and through those relationships to show the love of God to a hurting world so when we support the Haitian Timun Foundation, we empower our partners by creating and maintaining relationships, not only through our support, but through sending our college kids to Haiti, through our trips we do every couple of years in January. We do this when we support an intern. Hi, everybody. And when you help her to learn what it means to be a leader in God's church through developing your own relationships with her. And in the creation and the maintenance of our buildings, right, we're not doing that for the sake of owning property, but in order to create relational space 
to provide a place to come together and worship as we are this morning, a place to pro- where children are able to play and grow in safety, a place where our Stephen ministers train and offer support, and where people in the community know that they can come for pastoral care and for prayer and for help, and the list goes on, and we do this as a community, not as a magic ticket to heaven, but because as Jesus' people, it is our privilege to show a hurting world that with God, sacrificing oneself for another is the rule, not the exception. We are each called to help one another up. We are each called to partner with those like and unlike us, We are each called to give sacrificially for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world because we have a generous God through through all the gifts which God gives us who goes beyond the idea of life after death and also says, come and throw off the things that are holding you back in the here and now. Learn to give back to me all that you are and all that you have. Come, follow me, live and love like Jesus, because God's family is our family too. Amen.